All right. Good morning, church. Wow. So I, I really do need to give a huge thanks to Al for that incredible welcome and very, very kind introduction. He's really setting me up for all sorts of stuff today. So, um, wow. You're going to have to give me a moment to really take this all in because I know you've seen Kobe and I, my co-minister right here, uh, come up here from time to time to occasionally do some announcements and updates for the student ministry. But now that I'm actually up here to preach the Word of God, um, this room got a whole lot bigger, let me tell you. All right? Way bigger than our student ministry room in the back. Um, but wow, uh, it is so humbling. Um, church, I cannot tell you how privileged and honored I truly feel to be up here standing before you today. Um, it is an incredible way to start the new year for myself, and it is just so humbling. And, and I can't help but be extremely grateful to so many, grateful first to our, our Lord and Savior for allowing me to even be in this position with you today, um, grateful to my amazing wife, who I asked not to be in the first service just so I could get the nerves out. So she's in the building, but she's not here. Um, grateful for her because she is my ultimate blessing from God, and she's just been the biggest support. And grateful to our entire pastoral staff who have really taken Kobe and me in and become, have become mentors to us and have trusted me to be standing up here in front of you all today. And But... I am so incredibly grateful to you, church. I am so grateful that you have accepted and embraced not only me, but my co-student minister, Kobe McCormick. And I can tell you, and I can speak for the both of us when I say that it is one of the greatest honors and privileges of our lives to be the student ministers for Crossridge Church. And we are so thankful thankful to you for entrusting your children to us, and it is a responsibility that we do not take lightly, and just thank you. Thank you, church. Um, so if many of you may not know this, but this coming February will be four years from the time that, it will actually be the four-year anniversary from when the Stone family moved to the beautiful state of Texas, and this coming March it will be four years from when I walked into this church for the very first time. And I actually remember that day like it was yesterday. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have actually been way more impressed with myself. Because I was able to get all the way from the parking lot to the lobby, all the way into the sanctuary, without ever being stopped by Pastor John Wolfe. All right? No, truly, if any of you who... If any of you are visiting our church and do not know who Pastor John Wolf is, he is our incredible outreach pastor. And it almost feels like God has given him a gift to be able to identify visitors into our church from what it feels like a mile away. So if you are new, if you are visiting, welcome. Welcome, and we are so happy to have you here today. And I highly, highly encourage you to take the time to stop and to talk to Pastor John. Because Pastor John does have a lot of superpowers given to him by God, but his greatest gift is his ability to make you feel at home. His gift is to make you to feel at home, whether you're a visitor for the first time or whether you've been a member here at this church for
for many, many years. So please, visitors, Pastor John, raise your hand just so they know who you are. Um, please find your way over to him at some point. So back to me. All right, so I'm going to go back to myself. And the first day that I came into this church, the first day I walked into the sanctuary, I actually sat in that corner all the way back there where that nativity scene is. I came in, and I didn't even sit in a row. I took a rogue chair. I brought it over there, and I sat all by myself. I sat all by myself because I was all by myself. I was alone, and I felt awkward, and I was new, and I didn't know anybody. And that was just what I did. I sat all by myself. And I just watched. I watched Pastor Mark as he preached. And I, pro- I watched as the congregation responded to him. And in that moment, that first visit, I knew that this was the church where God wanted my family to be. But all that being said, even if any of you, any person would have walked up to me at that time, four years ago, and told me that in four years I would be standing on this stage preaching the word of God to you. And not only that, I would be preaching the first sermon of 2023. I would have very respectfully giggled or laughed and very awkwardly and and had to have disagreed with you. I would have just said, hey, you you have the wrong guy. And then I would have politely excused myself and walked out and got in my car and called my wife, who was not here at the time. And I would have told her, we are never going back to this Crossroads church. Let me tell you, they are crazy. Let me tell you, they are desperate for members, all right? So, and the main reason that would have been my response is because of the circumstances I was living in at that time. The first circumstance was I was actually born and raised in Roman Catholicism. I went to Catholic private school from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And for any of you who have experience in the Catholic Church— We're taught at a young age and foundationally taught that grace and eternity come through works, right? So for me, that was something that was really foundationally within my spirit and something I still honestly struggle with to this day. But so if you were to tell me, hey, God is calling you to ministry, I would have said, no, 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 I'm I'm not worthy enough for that, that I have not done enough to deserve that honor. That would have been the first go-to for me. The second would have to do with my incredible wife, who truly is the greatest blessing in my life. And we just celebrated our seven-year wedding anniversary. So grateful to God for that. Thank you. I wasn't looking for that, but thank you. Um, Because I know there's a lot more couples here who beat that number by a lot. But still, thank you. Um, The entire time I dated my wife, in case you don't know Rachel that well, Rachel is what's called a PK. She's a pastor's kid. So the entire time that Rachel and I dated, she made it very, very clear she would never marry a man in ministry, which is why she chose to date a doctor of physical therapy, marry a doctor of physical therapy. And now you can see how well that plan is really working out for her, right? And this just goes back to how incredible God's plan is. His plan is not only perfect, but the timing and the circumstances around his plan are perfect. Because as much as I would like to think and know that my wife would have still said yes to me if I proposed to her and I got called to ministry while we were dating, I know it would have been a little bit of a harder decision for her. So I'm very grateful for God for allowing that time to pass and his timing to be so perfect. 
But the main reason, the main circumstance as to why I would have been so hesitant if anyone would have approached me four years ago is because in that moment when I was sitting back there in that corner, it was the most anxious point in my life. I was experiencing the most anxiety I had ever felt. And that was because I had just moved my family halfway across the country to the beautiful state of Texas, but we had no family here. I moved us to a town in Little Elm that we had never visited. We just kind of drove through once or twice, never got out. And we moved into a home that we blindly rented on Zillow. Never saw it or anything. We just came on out here. And to make things just so much easier, my wife had just given birth to our second son, Dawson, two weeks prior to our move. So if any of you actually know Dawson and you wonder why he's the cranky one in the Stone family, he had a very stressful couple first weeks and months of life, let me tell you that. So as the leader of my home, the spiritual leader of my home, I was very confident in that I was to move my family to Texas. Very confident. But as a husband and a father, I was terrified, terrified with anxiety. Because all I had was a calling. I had no proof, no guarantee, no nothing that this was exactly what God wanted. This was going to be the best move for my family. And my wife, Rachel, being as, as amazing as she was, as hard as, as it was for her, she put all of her trust in me. She it wasn't an easy idea moving and leaving her entire family and moving to a state we were, where we had no one, but she gave me that trust anyway. And husbands, as you know, when your wife gives you all of her trust, it is an incredible, incredible blessing, right? It's incredible. But there's that little layer of anxiety that kind of comes with it, just, just a little bit, because in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I... This is a big decision. She's giving me all her trust. I have to get this right. I have to deliver because if I don't, she's probably never going to trust me ever again, right? So I began to put so much pressure and pressure on myself to deliver. And then that, church, was my problem. I began to put so much pressure on myself to deliver that I failed to put trust and God to deliver. And by putting all that pressure on myself, my anxiety grew. And it grew. And I was so anxious all the time, especially when we first moved here. The problem with anxiety, as we all know, anxiety has a way of blinding us. It has a way of not allowing us to see not only what's in front of us, but what God is doing in front of us. And in that, it causes us to forget who is truly in control of delivering. As sinners, it is so easy for us to look backward than it is to look forward. And what I mean by that is that it's so easy to look back at past situations of anxiety, back at past circumstances that cause severe anxiety, but seeing the future, knowing how things turn out, you look back like, ah, yes, okay, 
I get it. I get what God was doing here. Okay. All right. I didn't get it now. I get it now. I, I didn't get it then. I get it now. Okay. I'm going to trust you, God. Next time, bring on the next circumstance of anxiety. I got gotcha. you. Trust is yours, Lord. Bring it. Right? How many of us have had that conversation with ourselves where we have the conversation of looking back and then making the commitment to follow and trust God next time? We give him everything next time. And that's the thing, guys. God sees everything. I was so focused on my own anxiety that I was unable to see that God was delivering in this moment. Because we, as sinners, even when we're looking, we can only see right here, right? We can only see what's right in front of us. But God, he sees everything. He sees the entire picture, right? So God sees all. Which is why you will never find in the Bible anything describing our God as an anxious God. Because he sees it all. He's good. What I saw, or what I could see, was I was moving my family to a state we had no family members in. To a town we had never been to. Into a house that we had never seen. We blindly rented on Zillow. Right? That's what I saw. What God saw, because he sees it all, was that he was moving us to a state where we would have more family members than we could ever imagine. He was moving us to a town that has felt more like home in four years than anywhere Rachel or myself have ever lived. And he moved us to a house that we had never seen, blindly rented, but what he saw was less than one mile away from the church that he would call me to ministry to, Four years later. And where I would be standing here in front of you all, preaching on the first day of the new year. God is good. God sees everything. And if you haven't caught what the topic of this sermon is going to be, it's going to be on anxiety. And anxiety is the perfect sermon in my mind to start off the new year. Why? Because we all experience anxiety. We all experience some form of anxiety. It may not be the same way, same type, but it's always in some form for everyone. Anxiety is just always there. So I'm going to ask you a question, church, all right? And if this was a student ministry sermon, I'd make you guys raise your hands, you know, and we'd really talk it out and all that stuff, but we're not going to do that today. What we're going to do is you have your handouts, I'm going to have the, the question is going to come up on the board here, and I'm going to say it. And please feel free to write your answer down or just say it in your heart, but be honest with yourself. As believers, why do we experience anxiety? Why do you specifically experience anxiety? The, the good thing about anxiety is there's so many places in this book we can go to wrestle with anxiety. There's so many books, chapters, verses, references, support. It's all in here. There's so many places we can go. In fact, I'm pretty sure that there is 
if not hundreds, there's thousands of sermons focusing specifically on anxiety, right? But today, we're just going to focus very small into the letter of Philippians. From Paul to the letter, the letter he wrote to the church in Philippi. And some backstory on the book. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi while he was in prison in Rome around AD 60 to 61. It's actually a very unusual letter because it's unlike any other letter that Paul typically wrote within the Bible. He usually wrote for the purpose of addressing church doctrinal matters, right? But the letter he wrote to the church of Philippi was the focus to say thank you. It's a very personal letter from Paul where he really expresses his love, his care, and his gratitude to the church in Philippi. And not only that, not only his gratitude, he is encouraging them to live a life Jesus-focused. A Jesus-focused life that could only bring on a certain type of joy, and he wanted them to enjoy the life that would come with that joy. And for my Bible trivia enthusiasts, here's some fun facts, right? So, Holman's Christian Standard Version of the Bible is which Crossridge goes by. If you look in the Bible, you will find the word joy is in there about 150 times. 150 times. If you look in the four chapters of the book of Philippians, which is four chapters, 100 verses, takes about 15 minutes to read. If you look there, it can be found about 16 times. And it's actually called the epistle of joy. The letter to the Philippians is called the epistle of joy. Epistle, fancy word for letter. So it is the official letter of joy. So Paul wrote the official letter of joy while he was in prison. The official letter of the joy in the Bible was written in prison. Kind of perks you up a little bit, like it should, right? So, because when I think of joy, I don't think of prison, right? When I think of prison, I think of unhappy circumstances, anxiety. So how was Paul able to write the official letter of joy for the Bible in one of the most unhappy, anxious circumstances? Well, back to my Bible trivia enthusiasts. We've already established that joy can be found within the Bible 150 times. How many times do you think the word happy and happiness can be found. Put your hand down, Gubby. It's about ten times. Ten times. Joy, 150 times. Happy and happiness, ten times. Why? Because remember, church, God did not promise us a happy life. God did not promise us happy circumstances. In fact, we are promised quite the opposite. And Jesus even said it himself in John 16, at the end in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. We as believers are not promised happiness. 
or happy circumstances. But what we are promised is eternity with the one who has conquered the world. Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered the world. Paul was able to write the official letter of joy in the Bible while he was in prison because joy is not reliant on happiness or circumstances. Happiness is dependable on external circumstances, where joy is dependable on internal circumstances. Paul did not allow his circumstances to affect his joy, to diminish his joy, his reliance, his absolute total trust in the internal assurance he had in Jesus Christ. Circumstances and situations cause anxiety. And as believers, we are not promised a life without circumstances and without anxiety, right? So what do we do with that anxiety? What do we do with those circumstances, right? We go right back to this book, right back into the many places you can go. Today, we're going to go into Philippians. In chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, where Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying it very, very clearly. Church, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God wants your anxiety. God wants your anxious circumstances. He wants you to bring them to him. It's right there. But, that being said, let's be real. Okay? It's so easy for me to stand up here and say, hey, bring your anxieties to God and walk away. You're good. Chill. It's so easy to say that. It's easier said than done. Why? Because we are sinners. As sinners, we want to be the ones to control the situation. We want to be the ones to fix the situation, to do it by ourselves. And ultimately, as sinners, we want to be the ones to deliver. We want to be the ones to deliver. And usually it is only when we have tried and tried to control every situation and failed. We have tried to fix everything and fixed nothing. And it is when we tried to do everything on our own and deliver on our own that we pray. I had a college professor Uh, I went to California Baptist University, and I had a college professor that once told me that prayer is the byproduct, excuse me, anxiety is the byproduct of a weak prayer life. Anxiety is the byproduct of a weak prayer life. I'm actually going to be honest, I don't actually really truly believe that. And we're going to talk about it, of why. Because once you try to control, fix, and do everything on your own, and you're unable to deliver, that is usually when you get on your knees and you start to pray. You begin leaning on God. You begin praying 
to God for help, help delivering you out of that situation. Here's the thing, church. You can pray and pray and pray. You can be the prayer champion of the year. You can pray as much as you want, but just because you pray does not guarantee you that your anxiety is going to go away. Your prayer does not guarantee you that your unhappy circumstances are going to go away. Why? Because, church, we are not guaranteed a life without anxiety. We are not guaranteed a life of unhappiness and unhappy circumstances. Today is the season of New Year's resolutions, right? I've already heard it down the hallway. Here, or you see it on social media. It is New Year's resolution day, New Year's day, right? So you know, you know this couldn't be a New Year's day sermon without going into some New Year's resolution time of conversation. So for the fun of it, I actually did research New Year's resolutions. And what I found is, Pretty interesting in the fact that Webster's Dictionary actually just defines it very simply. A New Year's resolution is the promise to do something differently this year. Right? The promise to do something differently this year. So, of course, I've also had to go dive into some statistics as well. Um, but keep in mind, there are so many things out there. So we're just going to go off these numbers for today. But I'm sure if you Google Yahoo, Bing, whatever you want to do, you're going to find different numbers. But what I found was that 38.5% of all U.S. citizens make, you, uh, make New Year's resolutions. Right? 38.5%. And that was out of five different studies that were done through a number of years. And of that 38.5%, 59% of U.S. citizens who make New Year's resolutions are between the ages of 18 and 34, young adults. 54% of all parents with children make New Year's resolutions. Fun fact there, right? Because they were very specific. Parents of children. I know we're in Texas, so I know we got cows, chickens, dogs, cats, all that. So my parents of pets, unfortunately, this is not having to do with you. But parents of children, 54%. Now, if we dive even deeper going into what the actual top 10 New Year's resolutions are, that's where it gets really interesting, right? Looking at the top 10 New Year's resolutions, the number one New Year's resolution at 23% of all New Year's resolutions has to do with improving your fitness and your health. Okay? The, the bottom 10, the last number 10 with 2%, has to do with decreasing drinking and addiction. And anything in between has to do with finances, career, travel, and then addiction, and then drinking was last. But addiction at the end. What was interesting, and the common factor between each of the top 10 where they were all about improving circumstances. Each one was about improving a circumstance. Because in our culture, it has led us to believe that you do not have a successful life unless you have a happy one. And you do not have a happy life unless you have great circumstances. Nowhere did I find anything about improving my relationship with Christ. No one was choosing 
in these studies to improve my strength and trust in the Lord. The focus was improving my fitness circumstance, my financial circumstance, my vacation circumstance, and finally my addiction circumstance. Circumstances are the focus. I can't tell you this for sure, because obviously I'm standing here and not in heaven, but I can pretty much guarantee, church, we do not get to take our circumstances with us. No. And maybe I should talk right to my 23% of my fitness and health New Year's re- resolutioners, where it's, you, you can work out as much as you want. You, can get, you, need it. you need to take care of the body that God has given you, and you need to glorify him in that way. But to focus in on that, let me tell you, when you get up to heaven, you're not going to be taking your six-packs with you, right? And even if you do, you're not going to be looking here, right? You're going to be looking here. You're not going to be looking at your six-pack. You're going to be looking at the eyes of Jesus Christ, the one who saved you. You're not going to care how many crunches you can do. For my finance people, finances, you cannot take your finance, financial circumstances with you. Finances are important. Please, if Dave Ramsey ever sees this, I want to make sure he knows. Finances are important, Dave. But you cannot take your financial circumstances with you. If you were standing there in front of God, Jesus, his eyes on yours, your hands aren't going to be in your pockets counting to see how much change you got to bring up. I don't even think you get to take pockets. I don't know. You're going to be focused on Jesus Christ. My prayer for you, church, is that you do not allow your circumstances to take away your joy. Your joy in the internal assurance of Jesus Christ. The internal assurance that can conquer any circumstance. That is my prayer for you, church. And if you ever find yourself struggling, struggling with life's circumstances, with life's anxieties, I want you to remember this one statement of truth. And this statement was given to me by my father-in-law, who is essentially my spiritual mentor on earth here, Dave. And he, he told me this statement, and it has stuck with me ever since. The one being who knows you best and loves you the most created the entire universe. And he is in complete control. I just want you guys, church, to just think about that statement. Really let the truth of those words to weigh on you, weigh on your heart. Just just really think about it. And the one being, our God, the one being loves me most. Loves me more than anyone will ever love me. Anyone will ever love you, your husband, wife, kids, family members, friends. He, the one being, our Lord, loves you most. And he, that one being, 
knows you best. Better than you know yourself, better than anyone else will ever know you. He created everything. There's not anything you see, smell, or touch that God did not create or allow. And he is in control of everything. The one being who knows you best and loves you most is in complete control of your circumstances. We have a lot of parents here, right? We as parents know and understand the frustration we have with our children when they don't trust us. When all we want them to know is how much we love them, how much we know them, how much we want what's best for them. And all we need them to do is to trust us. And we know how frustrating that feeling is when they don't trust us. Imagine how God feels in our circumstances of anxiety when we are focusing and pressuring ourselves to deliver. Imagine what he's just going through. I am your father. I am the one who knows you best, loves you the most, and I am in complete control of everything. If we accept that statement, guys, church, that is so relaxing. Think about it. No matter what happens, no matter how bad your day is, no matter how good your day is, think about the, the weight that could be lifted off your shoulders if you just allow yourself to accept the fact that the one who loves you the most and knows you the best is in complete control of your circumstances. Again, easier said than done. We can sit up here, I can stand here and say it very easily and walk out this church and just be anxious as can be. In fact, I was super anxious with this sermon, trying to put pressure on myself to deliver the perfect words for you today when in fact it's not my job to do that. It's God's job to deliver the perfect words and just use me for the moment. So our application church as it's already been pretty much put up there, is, is pretty simple, right? First, trust in God. Trust in God in all circumstances. Paul's trust in God was so strong that he was able to write the official letter of joy in the Bible when he was in the most unhappiest and most anxiety-ridden circumstance. Trust in God. Secondly, speak truth to yourself in all circumstances. And what I mean by that is this right here is more than a book, right? This is not a book. This is a lifeline. This is Holy Spirit-given words to help encourage you, help comfort you, and help keep you safe in this world of suffering. So read it, memorize it, and speak it to yourself in times of extreme anxiety and unhappy circumstances, because this is where you're going to get your truth, not out there, right here in this book. 
Don't let it gather dust. Don't let it be a paperweight. As we tell the students, don't let it be something you put on a dating profile just to look good to your people clicking. This is more than just a book. Thirdly, do not allow circumstances to diminish your joy. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Where happiness is dependent on external circumstances, joy is dependent on internal circumstances, internal assurances. The internal assurance of Jesus Christ, the one who came and gave his life for you so that you could have eternity with him. That is an internal assurance that could conquer anything. Anything. And lastly, rest in the truth that our God, the one being who knows you best and loves you most, created the entire universe and is in complete control. He is in complete control of your circumstances. As our worship team comes back up here, I'm going to be honest, church, I don't have a New Year's resolution for you. But I do have a prayer. If New Year's resolutions are doing something different, means doing something different in the New Year, then I pray that as a church, we do something different. And I pray that this year we do something different by trusting God deeper, trusting God more fully, and just handing everything over to the one who is in complete, complete control of your life and your circumstances. You want to know what's better than a New Year's resolution? It's a new life resolution. You want to live differently? Then live for Jesus Christ and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are visiting our church, if you are here for the first time, if you have never had the opportunity or made the choice to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are here for you. There is no better day to do it than on the first day of the new year doing something different compared to our entire culture. We are here for you, but more importantly, God is here for you. God is here, and he loves you, and he knows you. He knows you best, and he is in complete control of your life. So church, hand it over to him. Not just this year, but all the way past 2023, hand it over to God and trust in him. Our prayer partners are going to be on the sides here. I'm going to be right here as well. If you feel like bringing your family down, please, the altar is always open. God is always here. Please, with this a new year starting, if you feel the need or the call to go take someone's hand, take a friend, and be with them and just pray with them as they take on the circumstances of 2023, please do. Because at the end of the day, church, we are in this together. 
So let's be different together.